Genesis chapter 37, if you will, please turn there in your Bibles. Genesis 37. We're off and running in our study of the life of Joseph. And um, what we established, certainly, first of all, was that Joseph is a tremendous type of Jesus Christ. And, and though uh, <clears throat> we don't see any of, of the references uh, about that in the New Testament, it, it, just in the first 11 verses, what we did last week, we, we've seen a number of types of Jesus Christ in the life of, of Joseph. One thing that is for sure, we never see Joseph complain. That is certainly one of the, the issues that that uh, attract us to to this typology in the life of Joseph. But it reminds us of Jesus in a sense because when we see Jesus, we see how he fulfills that uh, prophecy of the Old Testament that said that he went as a lamb uh, to, the, to the slaughter. And, and so here we, we see in, in Joseph again this, this desire to exhibit the presence of the Lord with him. A few times we saw in the texts that we've already looked at that God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. And Joseph also exemplifies for us one who realizes that, the, realizes that there's, a, there's a plan in his life and no matter what he has to face, God is going to fulfill that plan. We saw in the first 11 verses of our text the fact that, that Joseph had dreamed two dreams and he, and he shares those dreams with his family, his brothers especially, who hate him for it because in those dreams he's saying that they're going to bow down to him. And yet there were prophetic dreams. We'll talk about it in a moment. There were prophetic dreams that were pointing to a time when there would be an eventual famine in the land and they would go to Egypt. Not knowing that what they had done earlier on, as we'll see, begins today in our text. Wanting to kill their brother, but eventually selling him into slavery. That he would end up going to Egypt and be in a position to give them what they need to survive this famine. The dreams were pointing to their salvation. And they didn't know it. So, as we pick up in verse 12 of our text today, by the way, we're going to look at Joseph from shepherd to slave. We begin in verse 12. It says, Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel, who is Jacob, by the way, Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. The willingness of Joseph to go. The willingness to serve his father and to check on his brothers. He says, Here I am. 
And then he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him and there he was wandering in the field and the man asked him saying, What are you seeking? So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are, where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, They have departed from here for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. And then they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say, Some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams." But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands, and he said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. Nowadays, dreams are no big deal to most people. Many people have them, the majority of which never remember them, while others can remember specifics, if only for a time. Some dreams stay with people for a long time, but usually are of no great consequence to them. The reality is that most do not take dreams seriously. Joseph's dreams, on the other hand, were from the Lord God to him for the revealing of prophetic truth. What they did do was cause a tremendous amount of friction and trouble with Joseph's siblings. Now, as we said last time, Joseph was a favorite son, of course, to Jacob. But he was also a a faithful son. He was a faithful son to reveal rather than conceal the matters pertaining to his brothers. If you remember, he went and and actually gave a report about uh, a few of his brothers to his father. But just like Jesus was one who was a faithful son to reveal rather than to conceal, so was Joseph. He was faithful to his job requirements as the holder of the birthright, as signified by the robe or the tunic given to him by his father. Now I mentioned last time, of course, that uh, he received this tunic, this tunic that it says in our text was of many colors, and yet that, that's kind of a, a mistranslation as it means that it was a tunic that was long, uh, extended to the wrists and to the ankles of a person. Something that long was really for nobility. It was, it was there to show uh, uh, this person's rank, as it were. But it also was a gift of his birthright. And we said that that birthright came because he was actually the oldest son of the second wife, when Reuben had lost his, his birthright due to his, uh, to his sin uh, when he was with his father's concubine. But this is just the first of all the things for which Joseph was despised by his brothers because Joseph wore that robe in their presence. wasn't so much the outward robe as it was the inward heart of obedience to his father and in effect his obedience to God. 
He was despised because of his birth. He was despised because of his behavior, not for doing evil, but for doing good. Can you imagine that? Being despised for doing good. In a word, Joseph was and is throughout this account the beloved son, the rejected servant, and would become the exalted Savior. Savior of not only his family, but in effect, Savior of the people of Israel. And Savior of the hope of Messiah. This certainly pictures as a type the Lord Jesus Christ, who we know was the beloved Son of His Father, the only begotten Son, in whom the Father was well pleased. He was the faithful Son. He was the rejected servant to His people when He came. But He would become the exalted Savior, not only of Israel, but of all mankind who would believe upon Him. The groundwork has been laid now for the rest of this great account in the life of Joseph. Jacob called Israel in our text, sent Joseph on a mission that would result in Joseph's life being changed forever. A mission that led to his being sold and taken to Egypt where he would live the rest of his life. And it was no small mission for a teenager, now about 18 years old. This mission would involve much travel and much time not only for Joseph, but for his brothers and their flocks as well. Think about this for a moment. We're given no indication that Joseph went with anybody to seek out his brothers. In effect, he went alone. His brothers, though, took all their flocks and traveled as they always did by by foot. And in doing so, a lot can be thought about and a lot can be discussed while walking some 50 to 60 miles from home because that's what we're told they did. For the brothers, there had to be talk about the audacity of their younger sibling's arrogance concerning his dreams and probably along the way were already thinking about their plots against their brother when they would see him again. For Joseph, walking alone those 50 miles, he spent them with his God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who said he would be with him and was. Folks, whenever we're alone, we're never alone. If we know Jesus Christ. He's always with us. We can always talk to him. He always wants to have fellowship with us. The brothers weren't quite there in their spiritual life. As a matter of fact, they were already showing uh, tremendous signs of their, of their worldliness. They'd already killed all the men of the city of Shechem because of the rape of their sister. And we'll see some other things, but one thing that we learn about these plottings we get from, from the Proverbs. In Proverbs 24, verse 1, it says, Do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. For their heart devises violence, and their lips talk of troublemaking. So you can imagine what's going on in their minds and in, the, in their conversation as they're heading toward these, these fields in the area of Shechem. 
I, I had mentioned in the introductory study to the life of Joseph a number of weeks ago that, that Joseph was sent by his father from the valley of Hebron uh, to Shechem to inquire about their welfare and for good reason. The names of these towns that we're going to hear mentioned here today, these names were given a, a, a significance since they, they indicate a wandering uh, from a home with spiritual and moral strength to a place of worldly comfort and pleasure. They had left Hebron. Hebron means fellowship. And they had left the fellowship of their home and the fellowship of their father and the fellowship of their, of, of their whole family. And they went on to a place called Shechem, which meant strength. And while the, the, the strength was actually at their home, they would eventually leave Shechem as well to a place called Dothan. Dothan meaning two wells. And Jacob's greatest concern would have been their return to the place where their sister lost her moral innocence and Simeon and Levi their moral integrity in Shechem. The only strength that they would show in Shechem was their, their evil strength and their wicked strength of destroying the men of the city. Dothan emphasized the physical and material side of life. They were, they were far from home, drifting from one place to another. Have you, have you ever taken that time to think about your past for, for a moment? Sometimes we have to kind of go back and see where the Lord has saved us from. And, and a lot of times we begin to realize that in our own personal life, we were so much drifters. We were just drifting from one place to another, drifting from one thing to another, going from one event to another, or going from one hobby to another, or something. We're, we're not finding any satisfaction in this life. And we drift. Some of you may be drifting today. I hope and pray that you find that, you, that your drifting is of no value to you until you settle your anchor in Jesus Christ. Because there's no greater anchor for us than the Lord who saved us. The Lord who died for us and shed His blood for us and rose again for us. But the brothers of Joseph were lost in themselves. They were lost in their physical pursuits. Again, Dothan means the two wells and, and, and that, that speaks of of some sense of comfort and, and security, you know, in, the, in water. I mean, living in the desert, water was a, a significant necessity. But they lost themselves. And verses 15 through 17 show us another type of Christ, though some find this passage as revealing just Joseph's humanness. You know, they said... You know, you get to those verses and he looks lost. Think about it for a moment. Uh, Genesis 37, verses 15 through 17. It says, Now a certain man found him, and there he was, wandering in the field. That was Joseph. And the man asked him, saying, What are you seeking? So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, They have departed from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now I've underlined that passage right there in that verse because of what it says. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them. He went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. I want you to listen carefully. It, first of all, it had to have cost Jacob something to, to have parted with his beloved Joseph. It had to have cost him something to send his youngest son to look for his elder sons. 
and sending him out alone. I mean, who would send their youngest son alone to search for grown men, though they be his brothers? And consider Joseph in this as well. Did Joseph go in search of his brother simply because he was sent? I, I don't look at this passage as, as, as being, you know, Joseph going out there alone and, and lost, you know, wondering where he was. No, I think it's a setup for us, for this type of Christ. Again, consider Joseph. Did he go in search of his brother simply because he was sent? Think of these words. God sent forth his son. God sent forth his son. These words are found in Scripture in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. God sent forth his son. God sent forth His Son with a motivation in His own heart. But the Son did not leave without that motivation in His own heart. For we read in John 3:16 and 17, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. You don't go on a mission like that without the motivation in your own heart. How much then must, must God have loved us that, that He should be willing to send His only begotten Son? By the way, when you read, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, it can be read very clearly in, 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 the, uh, in the Greek that God so loved the world that He gave up His only begotten Son. He gave Him up. And you see now this picture of Joseph being sent alone to seek the welfare of his brothers. You see, our Savior did not come solely because He was sent. How many times have you as parents sent your, your kids out to take the trash out and they are, they're obedient, but they surely don't act like it. You understand? Go out and get the trash. I don't want to take it. Go take the trash. That's not the way we are sometimes. The Father sent the only begotten Son, His only begotten Son with the same heart and the same motivation. Our Savior did not come solely because He was sent. He came because He loved His mission and He loved the objects of His mission. He came to seek and to save that 
which was lost. That's what the scripture says of Jesus. And Jesus himself said that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And if you come seeking to save that which is lost, you come with a motivation that you love those that you're seeking. For as the heart of the Father, so is the heart of the Son. And Jesus seeks us until He finds us. Because I can tell you this, most of us can have the testimony today that says, I really wasn't seeking after God. I really wasn't seeking after salvation. But He found me. Did we love God first? No, He first loved us. Did we seek God first? No, He first sought us out. Consider even Jesus Himself. I should say, consider Joseph Himself. Because Joseph also loved his brothers in spite of their despising him. And he went after them until he found them. He went after them until he found them. Just as we see of Jesus when it says in John 1.11, He came to His own, but His own did not receive Him. He came unto His own, but His own did not receive Him. And think of this, when Joseph finally finds them, what is their response? Oh, we read in verse 18, they saw him afar off even before he came near unto them and they conspired against him to slay him. They just didn't think about that that very moment when they saw him. Remember those 50 miles of walking and talking? It had just boiled to the point that it was time for something to be done. When you think of Jesus, how many times Jesus could have been killed? How many times do we read that when Jesus said one thing or another that people were, were, were picking up stones to stone him, but he would get away or, or the Lord, because it wasn't time yet, you see. Yet they were ready to kill him early on in his, in his earthly ministry. Then there was this Conscious wickedness. In Joseph's time, there was certainly this conscious wickedness in his own brothers. They said, Behold, this dreamer cometh, and we shall see what shall become of his dreams. You know, when they said that, they didn't even realize that they were speaking against their own salvation. They didn't even realize they were speaking against their own salvation. When they said, what, we shall see what becomes of his dreams. They were so envious of Joseph and what God was doing in his life that they wanted to kill him and thus put an end to those dreams. But here's a truth that we all need to understand. If the Lord has said something, whether he says it in his word, whether he says it audibly, or whether he says it in a vision or in a dream, if the, if the Lord has said something, it will come to pass, no matter what man may try to do to stop it or to kill it. It's going to come to pass. Think of this one moment that they were not so much trying to get rid of Joseph as they were in opposition to the God who gave him the dreams. And it was their God as well. If the dreams were from God, they could never be defeated by the brother's hatred. 
And folks, we too need to be very careful of envy and of jealousy. We need to be very careful of envy and jealousy because these are monsters that can destroy lives. These are monsters that have probably destroyed lives that we've known of and maybe even in our own lives or in our own families. We see what it may be doing. What we as believers in Jesus Christ need to do is be excited for what God is doing in people's lives and not be envious of them. I want you to remember what James tells us in James chapter 3, verse 13 through 18. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? I think that's a great question to ask. Who's wise and understanding among you when it comes to whether they're self-seeking or envying our own lives? Who is wise among you? Well, let him show that wisdom by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Have we humbled ourselves to the wisdom of God so that we don't think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think? He says in verse 14, But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. You know, I've, I've never seen a passage that says that you have sweet envy. Just bitter envy. How many of you like to eat bitter things? I don't think any of us really like it. I mean, from time to time, you know, we get some bitter stuff we think is cool. I don't know. Bitter is not good. If you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom, this wisdom that, that develops this, this envy, this wisdom does not descend from above. It doesn't come from God. It's, it's earthly, it's sensual, and demonic. Look at your hearts. Check your hearts according to the Word of God. This is the mirror. This is the mirror. If we're envious or jealous or self-seeking, it's not just the flesh. It's demonic. Many of us here today want to be uh, tied to demonic things. I don't. I don't want any of you to be tied to demonic things. We're not talking about, you know, worshiping the devil or, you know, doing all kinds of weird stuff, you know. We're talking about bitter hearts. That's demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. The Scriptures tell us that God is not the author of confusion. Therefore, we know who is, don't we? Now, what about the wisdom of from above? The wisdom that is from above is first pure. Pure. Pure and is clean. And fresh as water that is clean and pure. And then peaceable, it says. Gentle, willing to yield. You know, I, I, that little phrase, I think we, could, we should do a, a study on that little phrase alone, willing to yield, because that's one of the struggles that we have in society today, that we're never willing to yield to others. The Lord taught us to humble ourselves, to look at the needs of others more than of ourselves. Are we willing to yield to others? Their thoughts, their opinions, that can be just as good as ours maybe, better. 
full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of, the, of righteousness is sown in peace by those who, who make peace. Well, the brothers of Joseph didn't want to make peace. Remember, they never spoke peaceably to their brother, Joseph. They didn't want to make peace. They wanted, they wanted to turn Joseph into pieces. Quite a different thing. But one brother stood out a little bit. I can only say a little bit. Reuben, the elder brother. He took some measure of leadership as that elder brother by trying to do what's right, but he did not take a strong stand against what was very wrong. We ought not to be doing this. We ought not to be thinking any kind of evil whatsoever. What does he say? Look, we, let's not kill him. Let's put him in the pit. All right, so we're not going to kill him. But he doesn't want to offend his brothers either. But throwing their brother Joseph in a pit did not bring Joseph any closer to home. Being a man pleaser is what Reuben actually became. And being a man pleaser is sure failure with God. Being a God pleaser is what brings eventual success in life. Being a God pleaser. Always seeking to please the Lord and not man. Just remember Colossians 3, verses 22 through 25. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service. In other words, don't do things like you're doing things so that your bosses or whatever can see you doing it and they think, oh man, he's doing all this work. You're only doing it to please the, the boss. Eh? It's not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. The work that you do, always remember God sees you. Always remember that the work that you do, God not only sees what you're doing, He also sees the motivation of your heart and what you do. That's the wondrous thing about the great God that we serve. Let, let's not forget that. You know, I, I think that sometimes, I, I, I was going to say this for the very end, but I'm going to tell you right now. As I was praying this week for this message, praying to, you know, just that the Lord would give the direction as to what needs to be said as I was praying for you, it was almost as if the Lord said, don't pray for those who have already gotten it, who are getting the message. You need to pray for those who don't get it. Because it's, it's eventually going to affect everybody's life here. All these things that we're learning. I hope that you've been getting it. But if you haven't got it, you need to get it today. You need to get it. What the Lord is trying to tell you about the walk of your life outside of these doors and outside of these walls. Where you go, who, who you're serving. Are you serving the world? Or are you serving the Lord Jesus Christ? Fearing God. Reverencing God. Bowing to the presence of the Lord in all that you do. And then in verse 23... It says, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there's no partiality. I mean, I know I'm going to say this later, but what goes around comes around. Well, let's get back to Joseph, because the favorite of his father, the dreamer as his brothers called him, 
is about to be exiled and he's about to be even more alone. In Genesis 37, verse 23, let's read on. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. And then they took him and they cast him into a pit. By the way, in Dothan, the two wells, it tells us that there was a, a, that's literally two pits. One pit was obviously full of water, the other one was dry, and that was probably where they put Joseph, in the dry well. And it's interesting to me that uh, this, this, this can be somewhat of a, of a picture of Jesus being put into, pit, into the pit. And you know that when Jesus died, he, he was put into a, a, a borrowed tomb. But we know that in that amount of time, in those three days, as it were, that he actually went to hell to preach. So, so there's, a, there's a lot of ties in here. And they, now my commercial for Israel. When you go to Israel... In January, on our last day of touring in Jerusalem, we go to the garden tomb, and there in the garden tomb, on the very property of the garden tomb, where we see a tomb that was very similar, could have been the very tomb in which Jesus was laid. It's empty, by the way. But, (laughs) praise the Lord for that. But on that same property, there is a cistern that would have been used for water. And they, get, they have a, a, a glass there. You can look into it and a picture of, of a ladder that goes deep into it. It was a deep pit. Very, very interesting, the juxtaposition of the pit there with the, with the tomb uh, in, in, in our study of, of, of uh, Joseph here. So they, they, they put him into this pit and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. So we know then it was a cistern. And they sat down to eat a meal. I'll talk about that in a moment. Then they lifted their eyes and they looked and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? You know, so now uh, Judah, which means praise, by the way, we'll talk about him later. But, uh, you know, Reuben now tries to save him from being killed. And now Judah says, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let, our hand, and, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. Oh, yeah, like you really care now. And his brothers listened. And then uh, Midianite traders passed by. So the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver and they took Joseph to Egypt. Now, understand this. Somehow, I don't think Reuben's there. Because Reuben said, let's just put him in the pit. And then here we see that he's taken out of the pit and sold to the Midianites with the Ishmaelites. We'll talk about that in a moment. And, and, and so he's not there now. And he sold for 20 shekels of silver. Okay, just, just kind of laying this out for you. Well, talk about cold, heartless behavior. Talk about cold, heartless behavior. I mean, they not only ripped off Joseph's tunic, but they threw him into a pit and then they sat down to eat. Now, that couldn't possibly happen today, could it? That just doesn't happen in our sophisticated society. We don't do that kind of stuff, do we? Hmm during the Nuremberg trials against the Nazis after World War II, when the men responsible for the final solution atrocities were finally brought uh, to justice, the final solution, the Holocaust, 
Many people wanted to see what kind of monsters these men were. And to their horror, what they found was that they looked like normal people. They had families, and they did what fathers do with their families, and yet they would commit such horrific acts and think nothing of it. They did their jobs, and they went home for dinner with their families. In one particular case, I was reading and hearing about Heinrich Himmler, one of the most evil men in the Nazi regime, who actually had dinner one day with his family and kissed all of his kids, and he says, Oh, I'm off to work. And he was on his way to one of the concentration camps to observe the killings, the mass executions of Jews and Christians. There were also Christians that were taken in the Holocaust. Doesn't happen today, does it? Just a few years ago, a mother with, I think, three kids in the backseat of her car drove a car into a lake, came out, said that there was a certain person that had done this, taken her car, hijacked it or carjacked it, and had a picture drawn of this person but she was the one that did it is there evil still in our society of that nature we see somebody on trial for double murder here in El Paso and the thing I can't stand the most a news reporter I'm sorry if you're a news reporter hope you don't do this but you go to the neighbors and say well did you know this person Oh, yeah, I just looked like a normal guy. I always said hi. He seemed like a normal person. Where's the evil, folks? Where's the evil? The heart, the Scripture says, is desperately wicked above all things, and who could know it? Heinrich Himmler was this little Nazi with little glass, beady glasses, you know. Didn't look like he could hurt a fly. But he was wicked. He was wicked. They just sat down to eat after they sold their brother. Where was their heart? So they sold him to these Ishmaelite Midianites. <laughs> Who were these guys? It could be confusing since two groups are named in our text. But, uh, but the Ishmaelites speaking specifically would be the descendants of Abraham by Hagar, Sarah's maidservant. The Midianites were the descendants of Abraham by his concubine Keturah. And yet, the term Ishmaelite, Ishmaelite can, can actually speak of desert tribes in general, so these Midianite traders were also known as Ishmaelites. Enough said. Interestingly enough, Joseph's brothers sold him for 20 shekels of silver, figuring they would make a profit off of him, even though it really wasn't all that much. It makes you wonder how much they valued their brother. The shepherd now is a slave. And what would the brothers live with from here on? What would they live with? Now they have a little bit of money with them. But what would they really live with? I want you to read 1 Timothy 6 verse 10 for a moment. It says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I can assure you that the brothers of Joseph were pierced through with sorrows, though they may not have reflected it. 
We wonder about people who made millions and billions maybe on the scams that took money away from good investors a few years ago. Wall Street, uh, you know, scams that, that took place. Some of them are in prison today. Do you think they sleep well? Or those that haven't been yet caught and, and maybe they're living, you know, high on the hog as it were. But, but you don't know how they sleep at night. God does know. And I can assure you in talking to some people, it doesn't matter how much money you might have in a in bank or CDs or in, in 401ks or whatever. If there's guilt in your heart, God knows it. And He weighs on it. Don't think that if you win that big lottery thing, you know, everything's... Everything's settled now. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. You're not going to be settled. But if you have the Lord in your life and God provides for you and you have the heart to give more than to take, God will bless you. But these sorrows, you see, the sorrows of guilt, they weigh heavy on people. But the sin itself carries on. And when it carries on, it carries on into greater sins, which we find uh, happening in the last part of our chapter. So let's look at it. Then Reuben returned to the pit. It says, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit and he tore his clothes. He tore his clothes and he said, well, where's my brother? What have they done? You know, and so he says, he returned to his brothers. He said, the lad is no more and I, where shall I go? I, I mean, I'm the oldest brother here. I'm, I'm responsible. He's concerned about himself. So they took Joseph's tunic. They killed a kid of the goats and dipped the tunic in the blood. And then they sent the tunic of many colors and they, they brought it to their father and they said, We have found this. Do you, do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? They, they couldn't even mention Joseph's name. They said, Your son. You think that's guilt? And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. And Jacob tore his clothes. Again, another, another sign of mourning, a sign of grief. He tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. The next verse, verse 36, is really transitional to the next chapter. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, and a captain of the guard. And of course, we'll start there next time. But yes, they did murder Joseph. But to his father, he might as well be dead. Sold into slavery. And so Reuben tore his clothes over what his brothers did. And his ineffectiveness of saving Joseph from this destiny, which in fact would eventually become God's providence. See, Reuben got to the point of hopelessness. His brother's gone. And it was his fault. Or at least it was partly his fault. 
But he wasn't seeing with eyes of destiny because he was living in the midst of his guilt. And now they go back to their father Jacob and they deceive him into thinking that Joseph is dead. And they do this by putting goat's blood on the tunic. Another cold, heartless act. Jacob believes Joseph has been eaten by wild animals and is dead. And thus he mourns the loss of his favorite son and he refuses to be comforted. Now what is significant to me is that years earlier, Jacob deceived his father Isaac by wearing goat skin. And now his sons are deceiving him with the blood of a goat. What goes around comes around. We learned that back with Jacob and Laban, didn't we? And here we learn it again. We do reap what we have sown. Where was his cry to his God? The God of Jacob. That's why he's called Jacob again, even though at the beginning he was called Israel. Oh, the ups and downs of a compromised life. A compromised faith. One last point. Jacob believed this lie that his son was dead. But Joseph really wasn't dead, was he? For us as believers in Jesus Christ, Jesus has set us free from sin. But, but Satan comes along and he tells us, you're not saved. I mean, look at what you've done. Look at your life. God doesn't love you. How could he love you? And as long as we listen to his lies, we will mourn, we will be depressed, and we will be useless in ministry. You see, you're free in Christ. You've been set free from the bondage of sin and death. And there is an extent to that salvation. There's an extent to that freedom. Paul says in in Romans 6, 22 and 23, he says, But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. Folks, what's important here is you're a slave of God. You're not a slave to to your sins any longer. You're a slave to God. Your your fruit is to be to holiness, not to your own self-seeking. And the end is everlasting life, which means this is not temporary, it's eternal. You're saved for all time. Then we see that the wages of sin is death, he says. But the gift of God is eternal life, not temporal life, eternal life. In Jesus Christ. Are you in Christ? Ask yourself. Examine yourself to see that you're in the faith. Are you in Jesus Christ? Because the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He has to be Lord above all. Is He your Lord above all? Is He your Lord above all? When we read this story, we wonder how can God allow this to happen when He gave two dreams to Joseph that seem to be contrary to what is happening here. The brothers are supposed to be bowing down to Him. Yeah, but that's yet to come. What's happening is He's almost killed. All right, I want you to think about it this way. And by the way, this is not a direct TV commercial. But I want you to think about it this way because God has a plan and His ways are far above our ways. You ready? 
If Joseph's brothers never sell him to the Midianites, then Joseph never goes to Egypt. If Joseph never goes to Egypt, he never is sold to Potiphar. If he's never sold to Potiphar, Potiphar's wife never falsely accuses him of rape. If Potiphar's wife never falsely accuses him of rape, then he is never put in prison. If he's never put in prison, he never meets the baker and the butler of Pharaoh. If he never meets the baker and butler of Pharaoh, he never interprets their dreams. If he never interprets their dreams, he never gets to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And if he never gets to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, he never is made prime minister. And if he is never made prime minister, he never wisely administrates for the severe famine coming upon the region. If he never wisely administrates for the severe uh, famine coming upon the region, then his family back in Canaan perishes from the famine. And if his family back in Canaan perishes from the famine, then the Messiah can't come forth from from a dead family. And if the Messiah can't come forth, then Jesus never came. And if Jesus never came, you are dead in your sins and without hope in the world. Don't be caught dead in your sins and without hope in the world. You will not because Jesus did come. He came because Joseph was faithful. Joseph was faithful. And he never complained. And he knew that God was with him. And that God would take him wherever he was going to go. Eventually, to Egypt. And years later, because a lot of other things have to happen, you see. Years later, he's right where the family have to bow down to him. The dream comes true. Why? Because God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Folks, we need to get this. We need to get this into our hearts and into our minds. It is not going to be any easier for us as believers in Jesus Christ anymore. Christians are targeted each and every day for just being Christians. As a whole, we need to trust in Jesus Christ. But as individuals, we're going to suffer a lot of pains and hurts. We probably already have. This year for some of us has already begun very, very painfully. We need to get this. Sometimes our prayer requests are are as if God, what did God do? Why did God do this? Why are these things happening? And you're not trusting the Lord. It's time to trust the Lord. It's not a matter of trusting other people to pray for you. It's a matter of you praying. God says, I'm here for you. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't ask others to pray for you. The fact of the matter is, if we understand that others are praying for us, at least they're praying with us too. But too often we dump prayers on others because we say, well, you know, oh, things are just so bad for me. They're bad for all of us. This is not an easy life. This is not heaven. 
But I can tell you this. Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not on this earth. Because on this earth, things will rot and rust. Thieves can break in and steal the things of this earth. But if you lay up your treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, nor where thieves break in and steal, then you shall know where you're really from. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Get right with Jesus Christ today. Going through struggles? Trust Him. Struggling with a bitter envy or self-seeking in your heart? Surrender it today. Surrender it and let Jesus Christ live in you. Let His love flow from you. Let His mercies and His grace flow from you. Stand in the love of Jesus Christ. Let that be what we sang about this morning. Oh, to be like you. Oh, to be like Jesus. It's, it's not us being, you know, holier than thou on the outside, walking around, you know. No, you know what? It's, it's the joy of the Lord in our expressions. In spite of what we face. Not to cover up the sadness. Joy and happiness are two different things. Happiness is based on circumstances. Joy is the gift of God. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit. We need to get this. Because tomorrow is another day in which we can praise Him or we can reject Him. We can serve Him or we can serve ourselves. Let's pray.